0: One week after the OHL's trade deadline has come and gone and some teams seeing some early returns, others that maybe even sold off are looking pretty good without the talent that they had before the deadline, nonetheless gives us plenty to talk about as we welcome you to another episode of the OHL podcast. My name is Mike Farwell. That guy over there is Dan Mahar, And I'm just going to start with this. I want to remind you, it's not a Kitchener Rangers podcast, okay? However, I mean, I I work, my broadcasting career is in Kitchener. Dan also is based in Kitchener. And the Kitchener Rangers, frankly, are one of the bigger stories since the trade deadline. In fact, we could argue, they've been one of the bigger stories all year. Right up there with Guelph, high expectations coming in. As I look at the Western Conference, Guelph obviously not meeting those expectations and then decided to sell off. The Kitchener Rangers going in an opposite direction below expectation but still added to what was at the time an eighth place team and as we begin our conversation this week it's a ninth place team so again it's not all about the kitchener rangers but it is an interesting story and i think we're going to take slightly different approaches to this dan so i'll start with you on kind of the lay of the land around the ohl now that the trade deadline has come and gone and what it is that you're seeing with of course a specific look at the kitchener rangers
1: Right, yeah. So uh, briefly on the rest of the league, uh, it's always interesting to note what happens immediately after the trade deadline because there's this whole dynamic of who gels quickly, who's going to need time, uh, finding the right combinations and whatnot. And I think some of these buyers that that loaded up are doing extremely well. You're seeing the Peterborough Peets, the North Bay Battalion, uh, you name it. There's some team, Barry Colts, a lot of teams that have really hit their stride. Uh, Windsor Spitfires haven't ever lost their stride. So they've added pieces fit right in seamlessly and it feels like those teams already had a good thing going, had a structure going. It was a little bit easier to do, uh, a couple curious cases where teams sold and are doing really well, like the Oshawa generals, where you see maybe a few, a few of the younger guys starting to get a little more ice, a little more opportunity. And, and, you know, they, the pressure's off. They're, they're not under the scrutiny of, of the older players. They're not under, uh, any illusions that they're going to try and win this year. So some really different dynamics you're seeing, um, in Kitchener, I, I I think they didn't really have the luxury of a lot of time to have that lineup gel because they weren't doing very well uh, prior to the trades, so they don't have a lot of time to ramp up here. Um, so you're adding in new pieces, and we're hearing the team talk about, well, you know, we need a little, little bit of time to gel and find those combinations. But uh, fellas, you don't you don't really have it. That's that's the problem. Um, so how that will play out over the next couple of weeks? Because if you look at that Kitchener Ranger schedule, sitting in ninth place currently in the West some really tough opponents coming up, uh, in the, in the near term. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, but they're kind of an anomaly. Like you you said up, up top, Mike, of they, they don't fit with the other teams in the league and the moves they made this year, because they just don't have that time and that luxury of, of taking two or three weeks for it to happen. They never really had a winning formula so far this year that, that they could just plug players into. I'm glad you mentioned
0: the Oshawa generals as a team that, After the trade deadline, I think they had a perfect weekend going three for three. I'd throw the Hamilton Bulldogs into that mix as well. They went up to Ottawa and knocked off the 67s, had a nice swing through the East, did the Bulldogs. So kudos to Jay McKee and the team uh, in the Steel City, at least for now. Where do they end up next year? That'll be the subject of another podcast down the road. And I also want to just give or provide some emphasis to... The windsor spitfires because i know there's been a conversation and there always is around players gelling once you bring them into a new lineup but oh my gosh shane wright brett harrison matt maggio are having no problem doing anything they basically exert their will on you on the ice i know the returns are very early but gosh does that look like a fun line to watch and that team is going to be the windsor spitfires very difficult to get through in the West.
1: Yeah. And I feel like in last week's pod, when we are assessing the trade deadline, that I maybe sold Windsor a tiny bit short by having them second in the West They're they're, they're just so good. And they added and seamlessly have plugged them in as we've seen the early returns after the Shane Wright deal and, and other additions, uh, Harrison, you name it. So that's just a potent lineup. And it was a potent lineup before the trades, so, yeah, I think I think it's a fair point that uh, Windsor maybe is not getting enough credit around the around the league this year. But uh, I definitely would not want to face them. We just saw them go into London and uh, London Knights franchise that was rolling through an awful lot of shots at Windsor. Um, but when you have that kind of dynamism on your forward lines, you don't need a whole lot of shots to, to score. And you saw the, the result. They shut down London pretty easily and got one or two chances. They're in the back of your net. So so look out for that team.
0: The London Knights had won 21 of 23 hockey games before dropping, are you ready for it, three in a row. It's the beginning of the season all over again for the Knights, who started 1-5, and and uh, they're puckering up just a little bit in London. Everything will be fine. We know it tends to be that way in London, but an interesting anomaly after adding the Ryans, Humphrey, and winterton but the team has lost three in a row so now let's focus on the kitchener rangers because they really are a big story you don't have a team at least not one that i can remember in recent memory for sure that adds the kinds of pieces that the kitchener rangers add and then ends up going on a seven game seven game losing streak like that That's ugly. Let's just be honest about it. That is an ugly losing streak. That's the kind of losing streak that can get a coach in a whole heck of a lot of trouble. Chris Dennis's job is safe. I'm glad that it is. I have a reason to tell you why I think it is and why it should be. Part of that reason is just because talk about players gelling into a new system or a new team is one of it, one part of it. But this Kitchener Rangers team played only its second game of this season. Granted, trades play a factor in all of this, but only its second game of the season with its what you would call now top nine, its top three forward lines that it will have the rest of the way due to various injuries, suspensions, absences for world juniors, etc. The Kitchener Rangers have, for whatever reason, been unable to cobble together what they would like to have as a top six or a top nine until this point in the season. So I think that's one of the reasons that this coach deserves the leash he's being given by the front office, but I've got more to say on that. I'll turn it over to you for thoughts on where you see this team and its struggles being identified.
1: Yeah. well, Mike, being being based in Kitchener, you get asked an awful lot about what's wrong with the Kitchener Rangers and, and, to be honest, I could give you quite a, quite a big list and they point in several different directions. Uh, one of them, these new players that they've brought in, I'll, I'll even call Philippe Machar newer as a new this year after the training camp, uh, Francesco Arcuri. Some of these players have not really seemed to play as well as their previous versions once they've gotten to Kitchener. and That could point to a number of things, just adapting to a system, adapting to new players, or it could point to a little bit of a lack of structure to fit into. And I think... There was Joseph Serpa who was traded to Oshawa uh, recently in an intermission interview uh, in that game between Oshawa and Kitchener kind of alluded to the fact that they knew Kitchener didn't have great structure and they could exploit that. And you see some different things happening during the game that, that are kind of repeated mistakes with Kitchener. Um, Some of the passing has been atrocious, just the decision-making right into, into opposing sticks, some little let-ups and whatnot. And I think I've referenced before that, there's a little bit of a lack of of grit on this team, and I think other teams are going to exploit that. So where do they find that? And I think if you're talking about positive signs for the Kitchener Rangers, I think in their in their jaunt to Saginaw on the weekend, we saw a couple positive signs. One being that I think overager Reed Vlad kind of stepped up and said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna use my wheels, I'm gonna take matters into my own hands, and and set a bit of a tempo here because that team has not had a tempo all year. They have not played with a lot of pace, a lot of drive. Fans are kind of lamenting. They don't often come out of the gate hard, like they really want it. So starting to see a couple of those signs and a little bit more urgency. And of course, Captain Francesco Pinelli dropping the gloves to avenge a teammate on a on a bad hit. So there are starting to be a couple signs that maybe they're they're figuring things out there, but it's been a lot longer, probably, Mike, than it should have taken. And there's probably a lot of reasons for that.
0: You know, Francesco Pinelli in that fight with Ian Phillips after Phillips. Ran Matt Andonovsky. Phillips gets five in a game for the check from behind. I think it was the right call. Good thing Andonovsky was okay, but it was kind of dangerous and a little bit scary. We'll talk more about that aspect of the game before this episode is over. I promise you that. couple of scary incidents in Ottawa, for example. But Phillips lays the hit and Pinelli just happened to be the first one there. He reminded me a little bit of clubber Lang in Rocky three, or should I say Rocky Balboa against clubber Lang in their second fight? Because, you know, Balboa was just there saying, come on, hit me. Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. And, over at the corner, Paulie was saying he's getting angry. He's not getting beat. He's getting angry. That's almost what happened to Pinelli. Phillips got the first few good shots in, and it's almost like that woke Pinelli up. And I give the second half of that tilt to the Rangers captain, which you want to talk about some grit. I'm sure you don't love that it's your captain doing that, but Francesco Pinelli acquitted himself very well in that little bout.
1: Yeah, and I, I think it's not that you're going to put too much emphasis on a single fight in mid-season. But I think most Kitchener Ranger fans will tell you that any signs of pushback or anger are welcome at this point because there hasn't been a whole lot of intensity and emotion out of that club all year, and really for a couple years. So it's it's great to see, and sometimes when the player wearing the C on his jersey does it, it has a little more impact in that dressing room. Okay,
0: I'm going to get into the weeds on something here because I've been thinking about this an awful lot. So if you're listening, strap in because – here we go. I'm I'm going to go here. And I'm going here with intent. So obviously, as somebody that works in Kitchener and broadcasts Kitchener Rangers games, I'm really close to it. I host the post-game show where I get to hear from fans all the time. And I will tell you bluntly, and I don't think this is any surprise, after the loss to Oshawa last Friday night, the Rangers' seventh loss in a row, I got a whole bunch of brand new callers on my post-game show, because everyone loves a loser, by the way. Kids, if you're getting into broadcasting and you're hosting a sports talk show, they love a loser. But anyway, all of these new voices, almost to a person, were all calling for the coach's head. Again, as I said earlier, a seven-game losing streak with a talented team is definitely the kind of thing that gets a coach in trouble. We saw B.J. Adams get fired for arguably less already this season in Erie. Not a team that was expected to do a whole heck of a lot. Hadn't lost seven in a row, but nonetheless, BJ Adams relieved of his duties in Erie. So I get where the fans are coming from when they call for a coach's head because traditionally that's what happens. But here's where I'm going to get into the weeds. Who cares? What gives that fan the right... Well, no, the fan has the right to say it, but what, what makes that fan think? that he or she knows more than the people that are in charge of the organization. I'm not saying fans are stupid. I will say fans are emotional and whether they go to 34 games a year with a season's ticket package and have for 10 years. So they've got, you know, 300 plus games under their bums watching games. What makes them think that they know more than the people
1: running the
0: organization? Why should we
1: care? That's my point. Well, my, I, and I appreciate that. I'm actually going to take the other side of the coin for a brief minute on this too. And I just say like, I think lumping fans as one gigantic category is problematic right off the off the hop. I think that you're looking at, yeah, you might take 6,000 fans in a rank and say 5,000 of them are casual observers, another 500 don't know what they're talking about. Right. Um but there's a subset there for sure that knows their stuff, watches a lot of hockey, many of whom have been very involved in hockey. And I think we need to give them an, a, a modicum of credit here, too, and just say some of them do know what they're watching, do know what they're seeing, have a history of seeing a lot of this. So I'm not saying that those who get emotional and say, fire the coach, get rid of everybody, they don't know what they're doing. I'm not saying those emotional ranters are necessarily correct or know what they're talking about. What I like to try and do is give some of them credit, some of the observers credit. And I know the best scouts I know in the NHL actually talk to some some fans and astute people in various ranks because every piece of information is valuable to them. So I look for trends and the trends being if everyone just says fire the coach, that's one thing. But if you start seeing trends in what they're saying, team never comes out of the gate with any motivation. Team doesn't have a lot of structure. Things that do point to the coaching, fine. Uh, if it's just, uh, the team's not, perf- not winning enough games, therefore fire the coach. And there, there's no context of this team has been missing players to injury. They've been, you know, had X, Y, or Z happen. My, my point being Mike, just that a sound argument's a sound argument, whether it's a fan, a broadcaster, a coach, a media member or whatnot. So I think we just need to be careful with these groupings. And I hear just as many emotional fans <laughs> as as the next guy. So I'm, I'm happy to dismiss a lot of that, but I I think that you you'd be remiss not to look for accuracy and warning signs and in trends and what people are seeing and saying. And that's not a knock on, on anyone in particular. It's just, you want to identify what the problems are and fix them. And when you don't see problems getting fixed over time, you have to ask yourself why is it the coach? Is it the players are uncoachable uh, what is it? Um, but there's certainly trends with some of these teams like Kitchener that aren't doing very well, that are a little bit troubling in the fact that they're repetitive mistakes.
0: I think you make a great point there. And, and I'm, uh, I apologize if I lumped all fans into one category, because that was not my intent for sure. You know, the people that are on the roller coaster all the time need to get off the ride and leave the amusement amusement park once in a while, for sure. But I'm going to go, I'm going to pick up on just where you left off because Sure again, like the most astute fan can have a really educated opinion in all of this. But I should also add in all of this, I hate it when coaches get fired. I really do. I get it. You're hired to be fired. But, but here's the thing, and, and this is what I've been giving a lot of thought to. So I've been doing what I do for almost 30 years now. I, I'm an old guy, and I have seen a lot of change in broadcasting over the years. There are certain things that I do to this day that I would describe to you as tried and true principles that I believe in, that I have seen create success at a radio or TV station in the past. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to keep doing them. And no matter how educated you are and how much radio you listen to, you're not going to change my mind. You know why? Because it's my damn job to do it. And I believe enough in those tried and true principles to say, sorry, I'm tuning out all the outside noise. You can even call my show and tell me how much I suck. I'm still going to do it my way because I've got the experience and it's my job to do it this way. So Mike McKenzie, who is the general manager of the Kitchener Rangers, no, he hasn't been there 30 years, but he's built a couple of winners with the team already. Well, I shouldn't say, I mean, one game from a Western Conference championship in 18, a team that looked really, really strong heading into the canceled playoffs in 2020. He has assembled a group here again that he thinks has a shot at making a run this year in the OHL. And he has made his decision on which coach he thinks will give this team the best chance of success. It's up to Mike McKenzie to decide now what he wants to do moving forward and no matter how educated that fan is it's his job to be in hockey if the fans think they can do better then go on out get involved with the team uh you know i don't know which team's looking for a new general manager right now but get into hockey and then do it your way but it's their way and they get to do it the way they want to do it and ultimately i guess the uh the decision will be revealed how successful it was by the time this season is over for the Kitchen Rangers. But I'm just, I'm finding it really tough. And maybe I'm too close to it because of all the people I'm hearing from. But I'm like, you know what? Bottom line is, if you really hate it that much, if you're really that pissed off, pardon my French, stop going to the games. Talk with your wallet. Don't pay money for the ticket anymore. I get the sense that there might be this belief that, well, I paid for my ticket, therefore, I have the right to bitch. Fine. But then recognize that's what your 25 bucks is for. You just want, you, you want to spend your 25 to bitch about it. Cool. But if you're really this upset and you think the organization is doing it that wrong, stop giving them your money.
1: Period. That will, that last point is super, certainly valid. Now it's, it's, it's easy to say when what you're drawing is hockey fans and that's the, that's the product in the local market. So you're basically telling them you can't, uh, you can't take part in your favorite hobby cause you, but you're absolutely right. You, you, you can vote with your wallet. And I would just want to touch on one previous point you made too, where I, you're right. that people in charge, they've got resumes. They, they know what they're doing. It is their decision. It's not up to a fan or anyone else. I, I, I would say though that we're a bit naive to suggest anyone in any kind of position of power in hockey is smarter than anyone who isn't because we all know how, how nepotism works and how, the word of mouth and, and the, the in club works. And believe me, I'm a Hab fan. I've seen a number of idiots come. I just dealt with a coach who would not play Cole Caulfield on the power play in a year when they were in 32nd place. So, and (laughs) I'm not trying to call anyone in those jobs an idiot. I know they all, they all have their, their resumes and background. I'm just saying that everyone's going to question everything you do. Believe me. I know I've coached myself enough years now that everyone has their way. They do it. And it's not, and You're right, nine times out of ten, it's just a matter of opinion. No one's right, no one's wrong. And I think I will say, uh, just finishing up on the Kitchener point, that I think Mike McKenzie, Chris Dennis, everyone who has come after Peter DeBoer has been at a disadvantage because I think the fan base, going back to that era, saw the absolute gold standard of management, of motivation, of accountability, of work ethic, of all these things that worked. So you don't even have to be an astute hockey person to look at a team doing things differently and say this plan worked, this one isn't, why don't you go back to this? And even though the league's changed and there's other dynamics at play, um, fans don't always pick up on those things. So it's almost in a bit of an unfair position for these people coming into the kitchen Rangers organization to be in. Having said that, I think that they take the job, you take the accountability that comes with it as well. And that is, you know, in Kitchener, 7,000 paying customers who are all going to have an opinion when things aren't going as well as they've seen them go in the past. So, uh, I, I hear you, though, Mike. Vote with your, your wallet if it upsets you that much. It's great points
0: all around. And it shows, I think, both sides of this. And I'll just finish on the point where I'll just say I, I kind of admire it. Like, I'm sure that the entire front office with the Kitchener Rangers is hearing the noise. I admire Mike McKenzie standing on the principle that he began this season with. He went out, got his guy. He started the, t- the season with his guy he added pieces to this team thinking this is my window and he's sticking with his guy for the reasons that i think and i haven't talked to mike mckenzie about this at all but he is the one paid to be the general manager your point about nepotism is terrific it doesn't apply in this case for sure but we've seen yes lots in fact our podcast guest last week john tanner former pete's goalie knights played for the wolves as well drafted to the nordiques uh, took a shot at the late great Dick Todd, widely regarded as one of the best that the Peterborough Pete certainly ever had, and uh, made fun of him for previously having been a grocery clerk. So, there you go. So, your point on that is well taken. But I do admire the principled stand that I'm guessing Mike McKenzie is taking, unless he completely misses all the noise. But it would be hard because there's a lot of noise right now in Kitchener. Hopefully. It begins to die down after the team got off the schneid, and we'll see. The schedule ahead is really, really tough. I'll leave you with one quick thought, and without getting too deep into it, but the 06-07 Sudbury Wolves were very much in a similar position. Talented coming into the season, underperforming, still added at the deadline, and wouldn't you know, going into the playoffs, lost seven straight games just like the Rangers did. They won their final game of the season. So they had lost seven of eight, but they were just coming off a seven game losing streak. They go into the playoffs as the six seed in round number one, they knock off number three, Mississauga in round number two, they knock off number one, Barry. And in round number three, they knock off the two seed and they march right through to the OHL final, where they ultimately lose to the Plymouth Whalers in six, half of those games, three of the six went to overtime. So, Am I saying there's a chance? Of course, I'm saying there's a chance.
1: (laughs) Excellent background research, Mike. And I think anyone looking at the Kitchen Rangers roster this year on paper would say, absolutely, that's a team that has some firepower, not necessarily going to want to face in the playoffs, especially one of these teams that did well all year and comes first or second and ends up playing them in the first round. So all we're saying, I think at this point is lineups returning to health. Chris Dennis, over to you. Great way to
0: look at it. Okay, let's move over just to another spot on the bench, but not with a coach Uh, down at the end of the bench where the head trainer slash equipment manager usually hangs out. Uh, They got to be right there by the stick rack to grab something if a player needs it, to help a player off if they're coming off the ice a little bit banged up and down the tunnel for whatever attention they may need. But we had the chance in Kitchener this week and to see something pretty special. And it goes around the Ontario Hockey League because when... The news came out while the Rangers were on the road the week prior that Danny Liebold, the head equipment manager and trainer with the Kitchener Rangers, was about to be behind the bench for the 2,000th time. Uh, We ran into a fellow the next day in Flint that came up to him and said, Mr. 2000, this is a big deal for people. That's an incredible number. The career starting in 1992 back in Sudbury comes to Kitchener in 95. He's been here ever since international experience. Uh, Gold, silver is what he's got in terms of no two silvers and a bronze. He's missed the gold. I think, is that how it goes? Yeah. I think he got a gold. He got a gold.
1: Yes. I believe Gold and two
0: silver. Then maybe he missed the bronze. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Don't want to shortchange Danny, the gold medal. Nonetheless, 2000 games is a whale of an accomplishment.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think of the, uh, remember the search for malaysia flight 370 mike i th- i think it's going to take longer to search for someone to say a bad word about danny Liebold. and and i i must admit i don't i don't know the man personally you obviously do much better than i do i i just know what you hear around the ranks around the boards from various people that do and you just see his demeanor and how he carries himself and one of the most respected people in the ohl and there's a reason for that he put in the work he put in the effort building those relationships uh, he talks about his early days in Sudbury, how he had to figure out the equipment in a hurry to make sure he was serving the team properly. And, and I think there's a saying, or there's a a principle among people that do these jobs, Mike, and they're often first in the door, last out the door. And you really do commit yourself to it, to the team. Uh, you, some, some regards you commit yourself away from your family and your free time uh, for the love of it and for the support of the players and the people you work with. So uh, nothing but a huge tip of the cap to to Dan Leibold for his two thousandth game and, and his his brethren in the in the business, uh brothers and sisters around the league in the business. Uh it, it it can be unglamorous at times, but boy, is it ever an important role.
0: Man, you said two really critical things there. First in the door, last out, and the sacrifices you make for your family or with your family to do this job that you love so much. And Danny was sharing over the past several days, as he reminisced those early days up in Sudbury, he's a Southern Ontario boy and gets the opportunity in the Ontario hockey league up in Sudbury, a fair distance from home. And back then he said, before the highway was twinned and all the road work got done, it was five hours and no less it was always that far from home he said in the first few weeks he must have quit six or seven times but his wife marianne kept saying you're going to stick with this and one of my favorite parts of the ceremony for danny before that rangers game is how he held his wife's arm in the air like she was the heavyweight champ because the families in behind you do all of that heavy lifting i thought it was great that uh, brian boys the head equipment manager and trainer with the oshawa generals was there at center ice to celebrate this with danny boys himself Been around a decade longer. He started as equipment manager in 82, having first begun with the Oshawa Generals organization as a stick boy in 76. So he's got a few more than 2,000 games under his belt with the Oshawa Generals. Brian Miller with the Peterborough petes was recognized earlier this year for 1,500 games. These are not small accomplishments. And if you'll indulge me, I'd love to share just a little bit of the uh, background and behind the scenes that i get the privilege of seeing when traveling when it comes to the work that these guys and, and women are
1: doing oh absolutely i'd love to hear this because i just and just on uh i know what you just mentioned about those other gentlemen starting when they did Can you imagine the stories they'll have being close to those teams for those all those different eras of the ohl but yeah absolutely would love to because uh the, the only story i had of of Danny Liebold was You talk about these buses pulling in at three in the morning and the players say, Oh, it's three in the morning, get home, get to bed. That's when they get to work on the laundry and other things. So, so yeah, please, please, Mike, I know from being around the team, you've probably seen a whole lot more.
0: I've had the opportunity to get to know Danny really well as a person. Uh, I could spend an entire episode of this podcast, just talking about him. He's such a great guy. Uh, But yes, when it comes to the role that, these men and women play. So one of the first things I I realized when I started traveling with the team for road games as well, is that every time you're getting to a city, obviously to offload equipment from the bus into the arena, you're meeting that other team's head equipment manager slash trainer. And in the Ontario Hockey League. I can't speak for what it's like in the show, but in the Ontario Hockey League, you're not rolling in at a nice, easy time of the evening and you're going to have a dinner afterwards. A lot of times it's like one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, Bucky, as we call him, Dan Buckland up in Sudbury is one of the first guys I got to know. And so we'd be about 15 minutes out and Danny would make the call to Bucky. Hey, we're going to be there in about 15 minutes. So Bucky was probably home sleeping unless the Wolves had had a game that night, but he'll be back to the rink or have stayed at the rink knowing that we were coming in kind of thing, open the doors and then help us get inside. But the other thing that happens is to a person, these fellow equipment managers slash trainers with the opposition, they help unload the bus. Like they don't just stand around and open unlock the door for you they they are there to help out for as long as I could remember Jay Thomas was always there up in Sault Ste. Marie and when we were there a couple of weeks ago my heart broke just a little bit because Jay had moved on to another role but wouldn't you know just to show you what these guys are made of on our final day on the way out there was a minor hockey game going on there was another team coming in there was a lot of logistics that needed to keep moving. The machine had to be oiled. So Jay came from his other job just to help out for a couple of hours. So at least I could see him. And I said, Jay, it wouldn't be a trip to the Sioux unless I saw you. So I'm glad you were here. And we got to have that little chat, but that's how much they support one another. And when we were up in the Sioux, one of the other things that that Dan Liebold does now for the Kitchener Rangers and a, a handful of other trainers are doing it around the OHL too. Believe it or not, even in the O. The players aren't always handling their own equipment anymore so dan will almost always now uh, load up a trailer and go ahead of the team so that the room can be set up when the players arrive they're not even slinging a bag and and dan's not the only one probably about a quarter of the league and their trainers are are doing that now so we got up to sue saint-marie and i always try to make myself useful i mean what else do i do right i climb up to a broadcast booth i talk for a few hours and so I help out where I can. And I was in the room. I don't do any of the setup because that's Dan's baby. And he's got a particular way he likes to have it done. But as we were getting things still unloaded and off the bus and into the room, the equipment manager with the greyhounds came walking in and he already had the laundry finished. Like, okay, this stuff is out of the washing machine. Where do you want to hang it? That's you get there. And their equipment manager trainer has work to do to help you get settled into the rink and, I think that's enough of the stories, but I could go on and on everywhere we go. That's the kind of person that we run into because this community of trainers and equipment managers are there to, to help one another out and they make this league work. They make it great for the players and it's, you, you'd be amazed at all that goes on behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I won't get started on the players slinging their own bags or not. I think, I think I'll go old school and say like, you know, Shows something the players that will do it, and I won't. I won't name names, but there's a there's a current NHL player that has gotten a lot of credit behind the scenes for he'll be first to the rank helping the trainers and equipment people. He always makes sure he's slinging bags, and I think that goes a long way. Multi million dollar athletes can do it. It says something about work ethic. But I think just to come back to your point about the role, I believe that these folks are wired to help. They're, that's what they do. They help. They see something, they help. Someone needs this; they go do it, uh, and they constantly—it's a life of putting others first and putting yourself last. And and for that alone, I think they deserve a ton of credit.
0: I don't know the name of the new fellow in Flint. I meant him. I met him for the first time just on our recent trip. He took four bags at a time. So yeah. I have a new goal now. If I'm ever going to try to pick up a bag. Four at a time. I've never seen it before. I don't know that I ever could. I don't have the stature for that, but it was pretty impressive. All right. Uh, You wanted to, speaking of trainers, boy, oh boy. Uh, It's often been said, and I think we've talked about it on this podcast before. If you're ever going to have an injury, have it in a hockey rink or a medical emergency, because not only is there usually trained staff around, there's equipment like a defibrillator or something like that. We're not getting into the defibrillators, but... Uh, a scary incident, certainly for Vinny Rohr in Ottawa. Glad that he's okay, but this is something that you noticed, Dan, and just wanted to make a point of.
1: Yeah, I think I, I think it it comes up every year in some fashion around the hockey world where you see scary injuries. Um, but I just wanted to know that's the second one this year in Ottawa. Luke Przekowski, when he's playing for the Sioux Greyhounds, had had a scary incident where his legs were kind of taken from under him, hit his head. Uh, a scary scene um obviously deal with a number of issues for long longer term after that with a head injury and then of course Vinnie Rohrer had a bit of an awkward landing after kind of leaping in to, to try and avoid a hit last minute um and it just it, the point it brings up it hit a lot of points really but one how quickly things can happen and be taken from you uh in the blink of an eye just on kind of freak things happening but it it lends back to your point about how this league is resourced and the people around the team and and how important it is to have the right people, the right care on scene. And, and, you know, the, the staff in Ottawa have dealt with that twice now in this hockey season. So oftentimes those people, and, and, you know, we just saw it with DeMar Hamlin in the NFL where the, I I saw a mem online that, that showed the ambulance taking him off the field. And it said, just think for a minute that in this picture, the lowest paid people in this picture are the ones driving this ambulance away. And it, it's just a more or less a nod to those people that take care of these athletes around the scene or are there for, for when these things happen, because it can happen in the blink of an eye, it can happen to anyone. So, so just keep that in mind at all times without playing with fear. You gotta, it's, it's a reality of this sport.
0: It, it's a great point. And, you know, when you talk about the way it happened to Vinnie Roar it goes to show you how fine a line it is. He's trying to avoid a hit and instead ends up with this most awkward fall and the subsequent head injury, but kudos to the Ottawa 67s too for sharing information the way that they did so everybody knew because this was one that started to reverberate around the league. The 67s did a good job keeping us all informed about what was going on and that that Vinny, you know, everything was progressing as well as it could. So that was good to see.
1: Yeah, I mean it's so important. Uh, if anyone hasn't gone back and read the uh, the lengthy articles on on the Ben Finelli incident back in two thousand nine, if, if ever there was a case study of just how important those critical moments are after an injury like that and and the care they receive, that's a that's a brilliant story. So uh, just something to always keep in mind anytime you attend one of these games.
0: All right, let's get on to something we skipped last week because it was all about the trade deadline and understandably so. But every week when we wrap up, we like to share with you our prospect of the week. So this is a player that is draft eligible for now this year's NHL entry draft because it's coming up in about six months time. Uh, We're going to go in completely opposite directions on this one. So I like it a lot. Do you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, sure. I know, since I know we don't have the same guy, I don't believe uh, I'll go first, but uh, in in a time of trade deadlines and contenders and buyers, I, I kind of want to take a second to give a shout out to a player that's caught my eye all year, and that is Andrew Gibson up in the Sioux, who's not sure where he's going to go in the NHL draft yet, a bit of a rounded package there that has had a great season in the NOJ, NOJHL prior to this, uh, can do a little bit of everything and has been asked to be a uh, play a fairly significant role on a Sioux team this year that lost a lot of firepower up front so weren't going to be afforded to make a lot of mistakes defensively and i just when I, when i watch andrew gibson play i see a player that has a pro mindset uh, can move the pot, can play the body uh, keeps his game fairly simple. Um, so you're not going to look at like a Kale McCarr type of elite offense, but you're definitely going to get that balance that that pro scouts look for because you know he can plug them into into the lineup and against various opposition looks and still do well. So, my prospect of the week is Andrew Gibson and Susie Marie. Saw him score a goal while uh, up in the Sioux a
0: couple of weeks ago, and that reminds me, I'm going to put a pin in this now. But something that we'll talk about probably next week is the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds as an organization, because I've got a lot of thoughts on that and, uh, you know, some points that I wanted to make about this northernmost outpost in the Ontario Hockey League and the way they run things up in the Sioux, which spoiler alert is really, really well, but we'll get more into that down the road. Andrew Gibson is Dan's prospect of the week. I'd like to preface mine with some, you know, defensive kind of speech saying, listen, even if you're highly regarded, the point of making you my prospect of the week is that you have to perform the way everybody expects you to perform. So there's pressure in that, but really I'm not, I'm not going anywhere even close to beneath the surface for this one. Uh, He was, he's going to be a first rounder. He could be a top 10 pick uh, and he's the OHL's player of the week. Colby Barlow gets uh, my pick as the prospect of the week. He just, For me, and this is after a live viewing of Callum Ritchie on the weekend, too. Nothing against Callum Ritchie, who had two goals and an assist in Oshawa's win over Kitchener. And he was good. But Colby Barlow, for me, at least right now, certainly in the past week, has been playing that notch above. He's got a bit of a mission right now, it seems. Seven points, three games. He's probably going to be a top 10. He's going to be a first rounder for sure. And he is my prospect of the week. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I think people forget that guy is still draft eligible because he's tickling the 30 goal mark in January, and and a player that we loved. I thought he was terrific at the U18s, and I was a little concerned when I saw a few recent draft lifts, lists uh had slipped him down a little. I I'm not sure what he's done to slip down because uh, plays pretty round a game, and every time you every time you see him, he's just potent. So great pick.
0: Yeah, that's why I had to drop the top the top ten piece because I'm seeing that falling too, and I'm I'm not sure I get it, but. As we talked about the beginning of this, uh, the fan or the scouts that are paid to watch the players and watch them in different ways and look for specific things. That's all up to them. But for my money this week, Colby Barlow was the guy that stood out to me as my prospect of the week. So we'll talk about the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and more uh, in the weeks ahead for sure. You get one of these episodes every Tuesday. Let me think about Friday with our feature interview. He's a Southern Ontario kid obviously, because it's the OHL podcast. So he played in the Ontario Hockey League, won two OHL championships, but the Memorial Cup eluded him. And despite growing up in Southern Ontario, he's now been down East for so long, you can hear the maritime accent in his voice. It's hilarious. I had to tease him about it just a little bit. So there's your, uh... that's not much of a tease at all, is it? What, What more detail could I give you? He was with the Sioux. That should ha- okay, okay. And he might be best known, despite those two OHL championships, as one of the guys that was traded for Eric Lindros. Okay? Okay. That's what you get for a, a preview of uh, Friday's Gap on the OHL podcast. Dad, you've got it figured out now, don't you? Well,
1: I, do, I, I don't know if this clue's going to help any of our listeners, but I will say that when I was a lad of, oh, about, I don't know, 10 years old, I watched him run a 400-meter race and win it by about 120 meters. <laughs>
0: So. was he running against <laughs> me? I might've been in that <laughs> oh one. <my> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is Dan Mahar. My name is Mike Farwell. Find Dan on Twitter at Dan Mahar. I am at Farwell underscore OHL. Remember, send us an email anytime at the OHL podcast. It is OHL at rogers.com.